So last week, OSHA officially published their rules for the COVID vaccination and testing rollout, which is part of uh, the vaccine mandates by the federal government started by the executive order signed by Biden. And it's been a long road and it seems to be getting longer. But these OSHA requirements are already stalled in court. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to go back over some exemption ideas here. And we're going to hit on something else that is totally unrelated, but you might find interesting. Stay tuned. You must leave the area immediately. If you refuse to leave the area, you will be arrested for North Carolina general statute. Under North Carolina If you have a good sheriff, however, they can stand in the gap. You have to be subject to the law, whether you have on blue jeans or blue uniforms. What is right is right is right. I don't give a damn what it is. Because guess what? I'm ready to go to jail and die about it. Think globally, act locally. We need to understand what the global agenda is, but we need to act locally to counter it. And we need to do it in a way that occupies peace. We need to do it in a way that is going to make connections with each other locally so that we see each other as human beings. The Word of God teaches us in the Book of Psalms. It says that if I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be at rest. All right, all right. Welcome to Podcast Le Renaissance. As I said earlier today, we're going to be talking about some more news about the vaccine mandate rollout. Specifically, OSHA has released its official rules. The document I printed up of the OSHA rules is over 140 pages, and it goes into the Department of Labor subsection of rules in the U.S. government. But to me, I think it should go into the Department of Labor Intensive Reading, if you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, but obviously I didn't read all this. I printed it out thinking that I would. Um, I probably never will, unfortunately. it's. I, I don't know how they managed to make it 140 pages. Quite astonishing. Fortunately, I don't really need to read it yet, and maybe it will never go into law because it's already been blocked by a court at least temporarily, and that court that uh, granted the stay order is the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. On Thursday was when OSHA kind of announced that they were going to put their rules in the Federal Register, I believe, and the Daily Wire was the very first, Ben Shapiro's media outlet that I heard of, the very first one to file suit. They immediately preemptively filed suit in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, Yet nothing's come of that yet, but I just want to make the point that they did, you know, Ben Shapiro did put his money where his mouth is, you know, he stood up for something for once, let's see if he needs to, I, I don't know, you know, he just uh, basically filed the same type of ruling or request petition that was granted in the Fifth Circuit, but nothing's come of that yet. Also in the Sixth Circuit, we have another lawsuit along with Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. Uh, you have the state of Kentucky, Idaho, Kansas, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and West Virginia are joined together against OSHA. And they uh, gave the respondents till November 12th to respond. So it may be a little while before we hear anything out of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. 
Um, and it's likely that those states will be joined together with the Daily Wire in their petition. And in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and don't ask me why these states group together like this, because it's not geographical at all. I don't know what what their decisions are, if, you know, if the attorney generals are friends or what. Uh, we have the state of Missouri, Arizona, Nebraska, Montana, Arkansas, Iowa, North and South Dakota, Alaska, New Hampshire, and Wyoming, along with some uh, nonprofits and maybe there's a business in here or two, do little trailer manufacturing. Sounds like a manufactured home. Uh, they are, as far as I've seen, they're the most detailed with their petition for review. And again, I, nothing's come of this yet. Basically, their main argument is that the police powers lie within the states. And they quote Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which is a case from 1905, which is largely used to argue that, yes, the government can mandate vaccines is the claim. Um, the funny thing is, is that only, what was it, a decade later, or a couple years later, this case was used to justify eugenics. So, you know, they never go that far. Um, basically, forced sterilization, the same case. But this petition actually takes a different approach. Rather than saying that the government has power to mandate vaccines, it's, they kind of use it to restrict government power by saying that that power lies within the states. It's an interesting approach. Um, you know, if that works, that works. But it's still, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of that case. I'm sure most people aren't. They claim also that OSHA lacks a statutory authority to issue the emergency temporary standard, which is, they say, shoehorned into statutes that govern workplace safety and which never intended were never intended to federalize public health policy. And that's kind of the arguments we continue into in the Fifth Circuit Court, where we actually have a stay order granted by the court. Um, again, this is kind of like in the Sixth Circuit, where we have several groups of people coming together in one. At first, we had BST Holdings, as well as a bunch of other LLCs. Um, if you live down in that area, or you might know... Ralph's Market, Butcher Boy, or Save-A-Lot. Some of them sound familiar. Ralph's Market sounds vaguely familiar. I don't know. I'm assuming those are like grocery store chains, like a, a Food Lion or a Price Right or a, What's that one out in California? I forget that one. What is that one? Price Choppers? I don't know. And you have them, and they've since been joined together. They weren't at first. They filed two different suits. Or two different petitions. Um, now they're joined together. They're joined together now with the state of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Utah, Utah, and uh, another group of LLCs that decided to join together. Again, I don't know how these groups are forming, which it'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting thing to hear about is how these groups are forming. Uh, they were all granted the stay order. Um... And the court basically ruled that because the petitioners gave cause to believe that there are, quote, grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate, the mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court. And that was on Saturday. So that was probably granted under emergency uh, court powers of some to some degree. And already on Monday, OSHA responds with their team of lawyers. I mean, you know if they could crank out 140 pages to cover 
COVID vaccination and testing requirements. You know, they got they got a team ready to crack down on anything. They filed a reply uh, equipped with a table of contents in true OSHA standard. And basically what they're saying is that they're seeking an emergency relief. You know, uh, uh, the government emergencies to seize power. Am I right? <laughs> no reason exists to rule on petitioners' stay motions immediately, they say. Basically, they're saying that there's no immediate danger for allowing the the OSHA mandates to continue on and allow the petitioners to argue in court while in the background the wheels are turning, right? Well, obviously that's their position because, you know, the closer it gets, the harder it is to roll out. But the, the reality is we already had rounds of lawsuits, which I haven't seen that there are responses to, basically attacking other parts of the vaccine mandates at the federal level. And, you know, I'm going to take a moment here because it's really confusing to me still, and I've been nonstop just researching this for months. And I, it's still a bit of a baffling thing. So basically this all goes back to Executive Order 13987, which Biden put in in January 20th. It didn't take very long. He was in office only, what, I mean, it was even in office a day at that time. It was one of his first orders. Organizing and mobilizing the United States government to provide a unified and effective response to combat COVID-19 and to provide United States leadership and, on global health and security. Not sure why it needs to be global. Uh, you know, we have a country here. We're not the whole globe. But um, needless to say, that's what the order says. And that bleeds into what the original lawsuits were about before the OSHA standard was released. You know, those lawsuits are still continuing in the background as well. Basically, this mandate or this executive order by Biden created the Safer Federal Workplace Task Force, also known as Task Force. And this has been the main thing that a lot of the other lawsuits targeted they're targeting the task force, saying they didn't go through the rulemaking processes, they didn't have public hearings. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to look up the rulemaking processes for your state. And obviously we're talking about the federal government here, but, you know, look those up too. But each state, as well as the federal government, has a rulemaking process. Because you're talking about rules that are not, they're not laws. You elect officials to make laws. You elect your senators and your representatives to make laws. But a rule is made by, you know, OSHA, by, um, I would say the CDC, but that's not even a government agency. The FDA makes rules. The, uh, you know, you have rules for home inspectors in your state, things like this. And every one of those rules has to go through the rulemaking process, and one of the factors of every rulemaking process that exists, at least in the United States, is you have to have an open commentary period. And that's one of the main arguments that the states are making against these federal mandates. There are two main arguments, one being that the public opinion period wasn't observed. And that specifically goes back to the first round of lawsuits which attacked the 
the task force type mandates rather than OSHA. And again, those haven't really gone anywhere yet. Not that they won't, won't go anywhere, but in, for example, we have something here uh, in the Eastern District of Missouri. There was a, a federal lawsuit filed by Missouri, Nebraska, Alaska, Arkansas, Iowa, Montana, New Hampshire, North and South Dakota, and Wyoming. This is not the same one as earlier mentioned. This one is going towards those task force requirements. It's attacking them at that level, stating that Executive Order 14042 passed by President Biden, basically the uh, federal vaccine mandate for contractors, which somehow they fit into the language that businesses over 100 people need to mandate this as well. I, I, I'm not sure how that fits in because, again, it's, it's a complex process. And it's because it's complex, there's certainly areas that, you know, cast out on its legality. And I would argue that it's certainly illegal without even having to really get into the details. But, you know, I, my argument isn't going to stop it, right? So what the states are doing to successfully stop it is they're attacking the rulemaking process. They're also arguing now they're getting into these are our these are our powers in the second round of lawsuits we see against OSHA specifically there were some in the original the first round but now they're getting into the position they're saying hey you're you're overstepping your bounds of the federal government these are our powers to observe not yours back off and that's a very valid point the police powers belong to the states because the federal government is tightly restricted in what it can do it's not only restricted it's the, the constitution says what it can do not what it can't so if it doesn't say it in the constitution the federal government's not supposed to be doing it but we know with the atf and the fbi and all these agencies the cia nsa each building on the craziness after the other it's like obviously they're not obeying the laws the way they were intended to be um, and people argue there's all kinds of reasoning for it, but at the end of the day, it's like either the action is lawful or it's not lawful. And if it's lawful, it's upon an authority that's been previously established at this point. I mean, we know where the government derives its powers, right? The federal government from the U.S. Constitution, the states from the state constitutions, the people derive their power from their creator. And the government, at the end of the day, derives its power from the consent of the governed and that's that's not speculation it's not a theory that's the fact of life and we see people nowadays because nobody knows what the law is nobody knows how to file a lawsuit nobody knows these things the the consent of the governed is basically anything because people will just go along right but getting back to the the mandates here and the challenges to them, the vaccine mandates, we see that in the Fifth Circuit Court that somehow the law prevails for a moment, at least. In New York, they temporarily issued a restraining order against the healthcare workers who said, hey, it's against my religion to get vaccinated, but that was quickly overturned in New York, unfortunately. So maybe this federal lawsuit will carry further. But, again, only time's going to tell on that one. And OSHA, again, responded on Monday. 
November the 8th. And they put in their response to the petition. Um, saying that basically those powers are within their uh, realm of authority. Although I've heard that even when um, asbestos was an issue, they had trouble stopping that from happening within the authority of OSHA. So likely that's not the case, at least legally, like lawfully in the real world of law, right? And their main arguments, again, in the response are that there's no immediate harm, that uh, dozens or even hundreds of people could die a day if this isn't put into place. Yet it took two months to get to this point to issue the rules. So, you know, they weren't in a hurry to issue the rules. Uh, and they're going to be another two months out from here. So already dozens to hundreds of people in their mind. Where are they getting these statistics from? I don't know. And, I mean, this goes back to, you have to go back down the rabbit hole, right? Where are these statistics coming from? Do How do we know they're dying of COVID uh, and this and that? But I try to stay out of that because it's just, it's endless. So I just stick to the realm of law here. And um, reading the response, the OSHA claims that it can only govern things that permit the measures necessary to protect employees from quote-unquote grave dangers of new hazards or exposure to toxic and physical, physically harmful substances or agents. Um, so basically like your asbestos, right? Asbestos is a new danger. It's a grave danger. You breathe it in, it fills your lungs like cement, and you die way too young of lung cancer. And so there's certainly things that OSHA does that are amazing, right? And then... Therein lies the problem. It's like, where do you draw that line? Because they already overstepped the the rule of law at that point. But then I'd say, you know, it comes down to the individual having to be responsible. That's what it, it really comes down to a very local solution. It comes down to you. If someone wrongs you, you have to take action on your own to get the outcome that you deserve basically but now we've we outsource everything we've outsourced the law we've outsourced lawyers and nobody knows the law and no one's using the courts anymore it used to be back in the day people just knew how to use the courts they knew how simple it was and it's still that simple but like it's <laughs> it's not that simple for someone who's never done it right because you learn through experience people used to be much more experienced with it and they used to be more knowledgeable of the law. And obviously, that's, that's a whole different thing. But obviously, we're not that way anymore. So essentially, at the end of the day, the OSHA's response is the uh, motion, the stay order, the motion for the stay order should be dismissed. Um, and they, they explain that in great detail why, as OSHA does. And I told you some of it that they believe that those, you know, grave danger, emergency, use those words, right? They know how to perk the ears up, make you worry. Um, and just to show you the state of affairs, you know, the courts used to be the judicial branch, right? We learned about the separation of powers. You know, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the uh legislative branch who actually writes and drafts the laws right for the most part 
And the Biden administration, the White House, they say, is already putting out through the media that businesses should overlook the stay order issued by this district court and continue to push OSHA's guidance regardless. Well, this could all be just a major ploy to, for the, by the federal government to stay liability onto the businesses. Because at the end of the day, if you violate someone's rights, you're liable. Now, theoretically, if you're a business obeying a government order, it's the government that told you to do it, and the government's liable. But if the government, you know, coerces you into doing it through your consent, through some abstract narrative, and I, which I refer to as narrative consent. You're consenting to the story. When you're watching the news and you go out in the streets and you base your actions on the news, either being for or against a bill, let's say, let's go back to the basics, anti-abortion, pro-abortion, pro-gay rights, anti-gay rights, right? You, you, you fit yourself within the confines of the media. The media being the material with which you construct your consciousness, right? That's narrative consent. So, that's, you know, it's also public opinion. It's a different word for it. But really, it's it's so much deeper than people realize. And it's been so effective, especially as the Internet advances and a story can go around the world in literally an hour and, and be in everyone's minds. Not everyone, but you know, most people's minds. As we enter this age where media flies around the world and just can, you know, be anywhere at any time, we need to be more aware of what the media is doing to us, right? And I think most people get it as they get older. But I'm just speaking on that for a moment because that has a lot to do with law. And earlier I was speaking on how the Biden administration, literally through their channels, the White House, there's no law involved here. The Biden, When I say the Biden administration told businesses to ignore the court order and to continue on advancing with OSHA requirements, there's no law in there. It's just a story put out by a great platform. The White House, the president, he's just another a journalist, essentially, in some ways. He's telling a story. And the people listen, right? There's no more rule of law because only because the people don't see it in their minds. They don't know how that works. So it's not that it's not there because when we enter the courtroom, we can get a piece of paper to put someone behind bars. So the rule of law still exists. However, it's at war with this narrative consent, and which is just the belief that a story is true. And, and we can go back to, uh, I believe it was Biden when he was elected president. I, I think this was the first time that this was making headlines. And it wasn't Biden projected to win, right? It, it, it wasn't that anymore. It was the Associated Press. This was a headline. This was what everyone was saying. The Associated Press has called the election for President Biden. Since when does the Associated Press determine an election? And this, to me, it goes back further. And I know I'm, I, it seems like I'm going off the rails here, but I'm not. That 
that stems back to when they were talking about Russian collusions and the Russians hacked the election. And at my friend one time, I was doing a podcast with him years ago. I, I think we deleted this podcast, but we were having this discussion. Wesley Myers, he's been on, I believe, twice already. And he was saying when they said that Russia hacked the election, what if they meant that they hacked the media and made people believe Trump won? And I said, you know, that's entirely plausible. I don't even know what that would entail, and I've never heard of that, but that's an interesting idea. And with Biden, when he won, they said, it was like a month or two before the election, he told me this. So I guess it was only a, a year ago. And with that in mind, when I heard the Associated Press called the election for Biden, I immediately thought of that. I was like, Russia hacked the election as in they hacked the narrative in the media. The media narrative drives the country. And then you see the people freaking out. Oh, the election was rigged. The election was rigged for Trump, against Trump. It, it wouldn't matter at this point. If you controlled the media, you could elect Mickey Mouse president. You'd say, he got the most votes. We don't know how. You, don't, you wouldn't have to show paperwork. You wouldn't have to show a signature. You wouldn't have to show anything. You might have to show a, a document here and there, you know, Maddow, what's her name? Rachel Maddow would come out and show some document, some obscure thing that means nothing, but it looks official, right? Some court record somewhere that says something obscure that proves that this is true. And most people are just going to listen to the headlines. Well, actually, most people just don't care, right? And that's a problem, too. That, that might be the biggest problem of the ball. Then the people who do care and do watch the media, as in cling to its every word, they believe one story or another. They take the media that's in front of them and they build with it. You know, as an artist, what's your media? What are you building with? What's your medium? Huh? What is it? What are you building with? If you're constructing with what the mass media is putting in front of you, you know, you're going the wrong direction, right? And I, I, I hit on this Point, which most might see as off topic from the vaccine mandates and this and that. It's not, though. You see the states moving through the courts, and thankfully they are. If they weren't, what I'm saying would be even more important. Fortunately, the states are actually taking some kind of step to actually enforce the law as it is and say, hey, these are our rules. Like, we actually have rules over this. You can't touch this. I'd take it back all the way to the, you know, the this all of all law not delegated to the federal government goes to the states or the people i'd push to say hey the people right the people deserve that right so you can even take that route and that's fine through the courts you can do this and through your daily life and through what you consent to you can do this through where you spend your money at you can do this and when we're looking at standing up for what's right it's not so much against, it's, you, you don't want to define yourself as being against something, right? You don't want to be against something. I'm not against vaccine mandates. I'm not against anything the government's putting out, right? I'll speak up for the truth. I am for the truth. I am for what's right. Be for what's right. And you'll automatically overturn what is wrong. And by these, these states... You know, they, they are they're doing both. They're doing, and maybe you can do both. Maybe I'm wrong about that, right? But people forget to stand up for what's right. And, and that's why 
it took me years to sit on here and to create a podcast like this. I've, I've wanted to for, you know, f- shoot, three, four years now. I've consistently wanted to make a podcast, started a podcast, ended it. In this, now I'm finally being consistent, right? Because I didn't want to put more fear out there like in Alex Jones. But I didn't want to just discuss what everyone else was talking about. So I, I was very careful and at some points too careful about what I wanted to discuss. And mainly because I don't want to cause more fear in the world, right? I, I, I want to correct the issues, but I don't, I don't want to cause more fear. And ultimately people need to be turning their head, their mental state back to themselves and back to the creator within them, right? We got to stop turning towards the government. Like, <laughs> fear or love, you know, man, you manifest what you fear and what you love. Whichever one of those emotions is the strongest is what you'll manifest for the most part. And then God intervenes and so does the devil. But that's why we need to go back to our internal worlds and back to our source, which is the true origin of law. Because the tools are always in front of us, but if we don't know how to use them because we're distracted by the media, the medium we're taught to work with, we we won't be able to build what's necessary. So at a certain point, you got to just emotionally detach and work with different media. And I just wanted to create a different a platform that has different material for you to build your life with. Different media. Different medium. A different medium for you to build your life from. Right? And I'm just... By pointing towards documents that you can use directly. Now, this isn't even what I... In the beginning, I said I wanted to talk about something totally unrelated to COVID and vaccines. And I will get to that. It's entirely unrelated. But first, I wanted to touch on one thing that I'm not going to go too much into detail with. I just want to point out that it's out there. And that is the British Medicine Journal, I believe, bmj.com. This is on um, a researcher for Pfizer basically came out as a whistleblower saying that the standards that they were testing their vaccine trials with were bogus. Uh, And she cited poor laboratory management. And it's a mainstream platform being, this is being put out on, which, you know, makes me suspicious in a different way. But it's worth pointing to because obviously, you know, somebody doesn't believe them. If somebody believes Pfizer's some saint all of a sudden, <laughs> despite having the biggest criminal fine in history, you know, maybe this might convince them. <laughs> uh, they've had, it. you know, she cites, this is basically she's in charge of the, standards for a trial and she's citing the history of lax oversight um different concerns raised were quoting from the article not just an article a journal piece by the british medicine journal participants placed in a hallway after injection and not being monitored by clinical staff lack of timely follow-up of patients who experience adverse events Protocol deviations not being reported. 
vaccines not being stored at proper temperatures, which was a big deal that they made in the beginning, that these things had to be in perfect temperatures or the mRNA will fall apart, basically. Um, quoting again, mislabeled laboratory specimens and targeting of Ventivia staff for reporting these types of problems. And uh, Ventivia, Ventavia, let me touch on what that was for a moment. That is, um, I guess the company she works for in, in here under that. She says, people working in clinical research are terrified of FDA audits. But she added that the agency rarely does anything other than inspect paperwork, usually months after the trials ended. <laughs> Quote, she says, I don't know why they're so afraid of them, she said. But she said that she was surprised that the agency failed to inspect Ventivia after an employee had failed a complaint. Quote again from her, you should, you would think if there was a specific incredible complaint, they would have to investigate it, Fisher said. And I'm not getting into it any further. You know, that's because I just, who knows, maybe that's a setup to set up red flags so sensors come along. I don't know. Getting back into the exemption and uh, accommodation requirements by the task force, which was attacked by the first round of lawsuits, um, there are religious and medical accommodations for these federal vaccine rollouts. And I explained in detail last week my feelings and opinion on that. I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just going to touch momentarily on it and say that they say that, so if, you, if you're trying not to get one because you're, trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant it's like you don't have to if you can get a medical exemption you know a doctor's approval but then your employer has to respect that and they didn't give great guidelines other than saying that employers seeking medical exemption should be treated like disabled employees they didn't say how to treat religious exemptions and obviously i made my point last week um and i made it earlier today it creates a liability issue for your employer to not grant it appropriately. That's that. And none of that was legal advice. You, you got to do your own research here. This last topic I want to talk about goes to the Rittenhouse trial, um, the trial of the year easily. Um, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, Kenosha, Wisconsin, there was a protest over Jacob Blake shooting. Um, during the protest, Kyle Rittenhouse shot and killed two people and shot a third person in the arm who's trying to shoot him and the trial's been ongoing uh this is day eight of the trial um today or sorry wait oh it's, it, it started last week run day eight or nine now and when you listen to this you know it'll be a couple days later um one interesting thing happened while i was watching this coverage I think it was day five of the, the Rittenhouse trial. And the witnesses on the stand, the owner of CarSource, the place that allegedly asked Rittenhouse and his friends to stand guard and watch it because they were losing cars to fires and looters. And he's on the stand basically saying he never met Kyle. He didn't know how much. He didn't know any answers to any questions. Obviously, he's, he's lost a lot of money to this and and the insurance company wasn't cooperating with him either and he makes that 
clear on a stand. And I, I, I kind of feel for the guy, but he's clearly lying in a trial where a guy could go to jail, a child who was 17 at the time of the shooting, 18 now, who he could go to jail for life over this. So it's like you need to be honest. And I'm watching a live stream of this, CJTV Media, who was actually in Kenosha when this happened. He, he was a guest. Oh, when was he a guest? He was at, I met him at the protests over Andrew Brown here in Elizabeth City. He, he was a guest a few weeks ago, uh, CJTV. I think episode eight or nine. Um, I was watching his live stream coverage. He was in Kenosha. He was actually on the cover of, uh, what is it, the New York... I had to look it up. The New York Post. He's on the cover of the New York Post, basically trying to help put a tourniquet on the arm of a Gage Grosquitz, which was the third guy. He was the guy shot in the arm uh, by Kyle Rittenhouse. So this guy, he was there. You know, he's on the cover of <laughs> papers, and he he put he helped put a tourniquet on Gage and. People accuse him of being so biased, but, I mean, he tried to, his best to save the life of someone who would never agree with him politically. So I, he put his camera down for that, right? I, so that, I mean, it's just, we're going into different territory here. But I'm watching his live stream on Friday of last week, uh, I think the 5th. And I'm telling you the most amazing thing happened. I wrote an article on healinglaw.com. It's pinned to the top for a moment. Um, while the guy from Car Source is on the stand testifying, he's not telling the truth. He's pretending not to know answers to questions he clearly knows the answer to. CJTV has an interview with that very person on the stand testifying where he's answering the same questions he's being asked and pretending not to know the answers to. Now, this is the crazy part. He, he, he calls up the defense in the live stream, the defense attorney's office. You know, they have their law office. they got many people in several locations. The uh, receptionist answers the phone. Hey, blah, blah, blah. And he says, hey, I have this footage you might be interested in. Uh, the the guy in the witness stand is lying, and I have footage that proves it otherwise. And she says, well, we don't have direct contact. You can text him. He, he muted it. He texts this to them. Within 30 minutes, all in the live stream, while he's he's sitting in Seattle live streaming his commentary, he's only just he's just doing commentary. And, and meanwhile, in Wisconsin, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, he's live streaming the tri the trial separately. Thirty minutes later, you see the defense attorneys come together over this tablet, and they look at it. They point for a moment while he's questioning the same witness, Ann Mall uh, Kanishi or something like this was his name, and. They say, oh, did you do an interview uh, last year after the fire? And he's like, I may have. And he's like, well, I'm looking at like one of those right now. And he starts to read from what CJTV sent him in the middle of the trial. And basically, he was able to just seal whatever doubt was left that this guy was telling the truth. And they really could have burned him, and they didn't. But it was just fascinating to watch. In It was an event that I've... I'm certain hasn't happened many times, if it's ever happened before, in history. You have a YouTuber live streaming a trial. He's not in the location of. He knows that what the witness is saying isn't true, according to the witness's own statements that he has pre-recorded. 
he submits it to the defense and in real time this is taking place within 30 minutes they're using it to cross-examine the witness flawlessly it it was the oddest thing and i encourage you to go to healinglaw.com and it's youtuber uses evidence uh submits new evidence in real time to rittenhouse trial mid-trial or something like that um go check that out um it, it was a fascinating thing and, and and the funny thing is and I know I'm going to get the same thing for even reporting this because I saw it in the Facebook comments when he shared the article. <laughs> it's not about whether you're for or against Kyle Rittenhouse. You're you're trying to what the court is what the court is supposed to do is find objective facts and base everything on proven things as best as possible. And when someone's lying, it doesn't matter whether you're for or against the. You should. It doesn't matter for or against. When someone's lying on the stand, and you have information to counter it, it's not for the defense to submit evidence contrary. It's for the truth. And a witness was on the stand today, and she said this uh, in the Rittenhouse trial. She was just a, a woman who happened to be there as part of the militia type people guarding the car source. And the attorneys, the prosecutor, just got so aggressive today. And he was saying, like, oh, you're for the defense, aren't you? You're for, you want to see him walk free, don't you? And she's like, no, I, I'm for the, the truth. I'm for the case. I, I submitted that evidence for the case. Because she, she, gave, she gave whatever she had to the Rittenhouse family. She gave whatever she had to the FBI. But they're always trying to twist the narrative, and it's really sad to see that the prosecution's doing that because the prosecution should know whether he's guilty or not, right? They shouldn't be questioning it. And the fact that they're questioning it, I, we can all lead to our own things, but by the time most of you hear this, the the decision might be heard, and I'll talk about that next week. But um, I just thought that was an interesting story. That was what I wanted to share. This is a podcast like Renaissance. And if you have a story to share um, that you think we might be interested in, you can contact me at contact at healinglaw.com. You can learn more at healinglaw.com. And, you know, take what I said today and, you know, apply it to your own life. Use the tools that I put before you that work for you and leave the ones that don't maybe some of them will pick up later it was like an old man you know i was a landscaper for years and i'd like i'd love to get back to it but god just not letting me for some reason <laughs> um at least for other people and he told me he was this guy who quarried rocks he was like 80 or 90 big man like he was overweight but like big like strong quarrying rocks by hand like he wasn't using the excavator. Um, and he was telling me, he just gave me this advice one day, and I, I thought it was really interesting. He's like, if you're ever having trouble digging a hole or digging in a spot around here, this was up in the mountains where it was hard to dig in the Catskills. And he, he says to me, he says, whenever, I don't know why he told me, it was just so, so off the rail. He said, if you're ever having trouble digging a hole, 
or moving a rock. You gotta switch up the tools sometimes. You just switch up the tools and it'll work out. Just switch them up and it'll, until it works out. And you know, now it's been like five or six years. It's a real interesting point he made as I live my life. It's like when something doesn't work, step back and just change the tool you're using, right? It's a real interesting point. And I just like, I don't know. The only reason I'm saying that now is I just would like to get his wise words on the record because I don't even know his name. And he would make beautiful, he would, he would, quarry rock by hand and then he'd make these tiles they were like two two foot by two foot and like two inches deep maybe and you take this the the best i could describe it as a slate like material it's bluestone but it's aged because the catskills are different bluestone it's weird it's been ground down by glaciers so he would take this he'd piece them together and then he'd have this nice centerpiece where he'd cut a heart so it's these two foot by two foot cement glued together rocks that are flat for the most part for paths and stuff and he made like a heart in the middle and i really like that i gotta go buy some i gotta buy one of those from him um but i don't know people's stories are amazing aren't they um it's been podcasts like renaissance Next week, who knows what we'll be covering. But uh, until then, while the revolution might not be televised, we shall podcast Les Renaissance. Have a good one now.